new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, it is a wonderful day to podcast. Every day is a wonderful day to podcast. And uh, yeah, we just love doing this. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for uh, staying with us and just, you know, enjoying the podcast, having a listen whenever you get the opportunity to do that. We appreciate that. And we hope you're getting something back from it. Uh, so on today's episode, we have Sherry Dunlevy, and she is a best-selling author, speaker, podcaster, inspirationista, and grieving mom. Her best-selling book is called How Can I Help? Your go-to guide for helping loved ones through life's difficulties. Sherry is the host of the Graduating Grief Podcast. She has also designed a graduating grief program and community where women who are ready to step out of their pain can get the encouragement, joy, support, tools, and permission they need to start living life again with joy. Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm doing good. It's, it's great to podcast again. It it's always fills my heart. So I'm super excited to have another meaningful conversation that gets to get recorded. Oh, me too. And thank you for allowing me to spend some time with you guys today. Well, no problem. No worries. Yeah. So we've spoken uh, before, and it's nice to have you on the, the podcast now to talk more about your life and, and your loss. And so I'm curious, like for you, did did your loss come first that changed your, your course of direction? Or was there something else that happened um, for you to become like the author, then want a podcast, and then the whole inspirationista? Yeah. <laughs> or were, were you born that way? <laughs> I, no, I was not born that way at all. In fact, my background is I was a television news anchor for many, many years. Wow. And I started right out of college and really stayed at the same station. So my audience saw me fall in love and get married and have my first child. And they were with me as I was expecting my second child and then had complications. And then they mourned with me when we lost our son, Brandon. Uh, I left that career about a year after. Uh, something happens to a mom when she loses a child. You know, uh, I, um, for me, what it was, was that I was broken open. I was so able to compartmentalize the day's news and just put it in this little, tuck it in this little box in the back of my mind and go home and be mom. And I was able to do that, you know, pretty well. But after I lost my son, Brandon, I lost the capacity to be able to do that. And everything just made me sad. Everything made me afraid. All the day's news was so scary. I mean, when my son, Brandon, was born and fighting for his life in the hospital, I remember going into the waiting room for parents because he was in a neonatal intensive care unit and Columbine happened. So, you know, the world was dealing with these mass shootings in a school for the very first time. And I thought, I, I can't deal with that right now. But it was just, there was that kind of news that I couldn't compartmentalize it anymore. It just really affected me. And I couldn't leave it at work any longer. Mm -hmm. So I left that career and I went home and I, I spent time with my son, Trey, and raised him and didn't start back into a broadcasting career until he was in school again. And then I hosted my own radio show for 12 years. And it was during that time that I had this calling to write my book, How Can I Help? And so if I can go back again, I can, I can tell you that 
what happened when we lost our son, Brandon, is that we also lost some of our closest friends. And I, in, in, in an instance for me, uh, because my husband lost some of his friends too, but I remember having a very, very close friend and was expecting her to say, listen, I found a babysitter for the kids. You hang on. I'm coming into town. I'm going to take care of you. Don't you worry about it. And instead, when I got off the phone, I was just devastated because she said to me, I can't handle this. And she just said goodbye. And six years later, out of the blue, I get a phone call from her and she just wants to pick up where we left off. <laughs> and I thought, what was that about? Like that, that can't happen. You know, too much has, has happened since then. And I just kept thinking about, you know, what was that all about? Why would people abandon you when you need them the most? And I found out through the years that this is, this is not an uncommon thing, unfortunately when people lose a loved one or when people get divorced or when people lose a job or they've just been diagnosed with cancer. Some people just drop out of your life. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that was all about. And I, I, I broke it down into three things. Now there could be more, but for me, I saw it as, first of all, it was just so scary that you just can't face it yourself. You know, it was just too terrifying. And I think that as a mom of children, maybe it was just too terrifying to face the fact that maybe you could lose one at any time, like I did. And so you just couldn't even talk about it. It was too painful. So that's the first scenario. The second scenario is that you literally don't know what to do or say. You know, you you might not have ever experienced losing a loved one or had a difficulty in life yet. So you don't really know how to reach out to someone and maybe it wasn't modeled for you. Or the third thing, and I think it's probably the most common thing for people, is that you you want to, but you're afraid you're going to make it worse, or you're afraid you're going to sound silly, or you're afraid that maybe you're going to cry, or you're afraid that you're going to make them cry. So you don't do anything at all. And so I thought, well, if there was just some kind of resource that could be out there to help people with this, wouldn't it be nice then maybe they could still be friends. You know, maybe their relationship could be salvaged. Mm -hmm. But their trouble was, is every time I was looking for it, I couldn't find it. So it was many, many years after my son's death that I felt the calling to write that book. And it was about the same time that my son, who I left my broadcasting career, he was three at the time, three years old, he was getting ready to graduate from high school. So I was kind of grieving again, you know grieving the fact that he was no longer going to be living under our roof, that he was going to be leaving the nest. And so it was a great project to take on at that time because I think it was healthy and it was enabling me to use my gifts, talents, and abilities as a news reporter to interview people who were going through some of these rough times in life and ask them, how did your family and friends lift you up and carry you through and support you during these times? So I don't know that I consider myself an author as much as I consider myself an information gatherer. And I put it together in a book so that people would have this resource. And so that's really how it all started. So it did start after my son died, but not almost, it took about 15 years after he died for me to actually 
be called into that work. Man, isn't that such a difficult thing? But you're so right in, in those uh, observations that you've had about your friend and what went on. I mean, I bet that was super, obviously, painful and emotional at that time to have someone who thought would support you in a certain way and then just kind of leave your life. Um, I, you know, I don't know how I would react. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're, man, that's so, that's such a key. Those are really interesting key learnings there. And just to look at that person as a person and say, okay, maybe it's not as personal or maybe it's not me in in so much as it's uh how the situation resulted and it actually kind of relates to your you leaving the news anchor role mm -hmm. in that way because you saw that in a different light and that was a, a a space that was you know understandably so mm -hmm. emotional and there was a lot of bombardment of you know news and data and i don't know how i would um continue doing that job either if I yeah. if I had a loss and like that, and then, like you said, you know, Columbine, all these are huge emotional events to be <laughs> able to remain uh, in that professional sphere like a news anchor and continue to give that image. Right. Right. You know, because you're not supposed to have an opinion. You're supposed to be unaffected. Right. Supposedly. Yeah. Um, I could no longer be unaffected. I remember, you know, one of my one of my assignments was to talk to a Holocaust survivor and I sobbed through the whole interview. I could, I couldn't stop myself. You know, I mean, it was terrible. And um, there were a couple of stories that were people in our community who had passed away. And I was just telling the story and I started crying on the air and I thought, this is not working anymore. This is just not working. I, I, I literally cannot do this anymore. I need to go home. I need to be mom. I need to heal. But, you know, it took a lot of, it took a lot of work to do that. And quite frankly, it took getting the permission from, you know, a counselor to say, it's okay. It's okay to step away and step into something else. It's just another loss, right? And to try to start over with something a little different and get your head around that. Like, I, I can't imagine the difficulty of that Plus, you're dealing with friends not being there, you know, and just like the secondary <laughs> losses are just like <laughs> piling yeah. up after the loss of your, your son. And, you know, like I, I like how you said it took time. A lot of people, as you probably know, they, they want to rush the process or they, they feel like in a year or two, they'll try to find a mission on how they're going to deal with their loss or make meaning from it. And sometimes you said it takes time to really work through your stuff and to allow allow the ideas to come and to sort of understand where you you best can be fit. And I think, you know, with that, just that one topic of friends leaving you and people not knowing what to say, it doesn't get a lot of airplay. And I think, you know, at that time, especially writing that book, I can understand why it was a bestseller because I wouldn't doubt if a lot of grieving people were buying it for, yeah. for their, their family and their friends <laughs> to try to save relationships as a way of just calling out because it's so hard as a grieving individual to even know what you want just because you have so many emotions going through you. And so it's nice that you were able to have a book to help people. When you put out that book, what kind of a feedback did you get from people after they read it? It was amazing. And, and remind me to, to, to double back on something that you just said, which is, you know, you, they don't even know what they want. That's, that's a key right there. It was, it was amazing and it was wonderful. And when I was talking, what I found was that there were so many, you know, who this really affects? It affects a lot of men, 
a lot of grown men in the audience just break down and cry when I would talk about this because they saw themselves being abandoned or they found, they realized that they were abandoning their friends. And so that realization really kicked in. And a lot of times you don't realize that until it happens to you. And so I kind of like, I kind of am really glad that this book comes out and that I talk about it because it kind of heads it off at the pass. If you can read this and learn a few things and reach out to your friends, you don't have to wait till something like this happens to you to realize, oh my gosh, I had this opportunity where I could have just been there for someone and I didn't because I was afraid. So I always try to tell people, first of all, there are no magic words that can change it. It happened. Okay. But there are many things that you can do or say that can add support, loving support. And remember, this is not about you being afraid. This is about you being courageous enough to step out in love, no matter how awkward you might feel about it. Yeah, that's a great point. And as as a man, I can definitely agree to that is that, you know, even the most emotionally aware person, it's, it's something you have to kind of learn how to do is in, in, in a lot of situations, I'm not saying all situations, but in, in a lot of men that I know in relationships that I've had, it's, it's something you've had to learn to do more maybe it wasn't taught properly or whatnot or maybe the you know yeah I don't want to get into why but (laughs) it's uh, it doesn't come naturally in a lot of situations so um, and that's such a great point is just stepping out and being courageous enough to say that it could be awkward it could be uncomfortable could be an area that you don't normally want to dwell on you know for maybe maybe some guys think that like well you know they can handle things or they're used to handling things on their own or I don't want to make him feel like weak or some sort of uh, situation along those lines. But then, but then you have that missed opportunity, you have that gap where like, you know, something, someone's sitting in solitude or silence and suffering, and you're not able, you're not going there and supporting your friend or whatnot, or your or loved one or whoever it is. But yeah, that's such a, that's such an important thing and really key learning. And that's, that's a little bit of a, of a reason why I love doing this podcast as well is hopefully opening the eyes of some men that are listening or or potential listeners to kind of say that it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to support other people, their loss. Absolutely it is. And the thing is, is that sometimes you don't have to even say anything. You know, you could just be out in the garage puttering around with your friend, you know, drinking a beer, a cup of coffee or whatever it is. Or sometimes you could just be sitting at a ball game. But just knowing just that underlying current of I know what you're going through and I'm just going to sit here with you, my friend, mm. we'll go through it together. You know, it, it's not it. You know, it's there, there. There are no magic words, but awkward words are better than no words at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a perfectly OK to say, dude, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I'm hurting yeah. With you. I'm, yeah, I'm dying with you. It's killing me that you're going through this. Just that acknowledgement might be all it takes. Very wise. Very wise words, Sherry. And and I, I've gone through that in my life, my experience. And I've had conversations with people where I, I've told them straight up. It's like, I just don't know what to say right now. And, and that's something we, you know, when we talk to grief experts and people who've gone through losses uh, like yourself, 
that's the number one advice that comes to us is that, you know, not everybody is going to know what to say or have the words to say it. And sometimes just being there and even expressing that, hey, I don't know what to say in this moment is such a is is important for that griever, for that person who's had that loss. And they know in a lot of ways. Right. Right. Sometimes, you know, just just a look in someone's eye, you know, or. And, and, you know, it's so fun. With all the technology we have now, you can leave a voicemail. You don't even have to talk to them face to face. You could just leave a voicemail and then leave another one. And when they want to talk, they'll pick up the phone and they'll talk. But just to have a reassuring voice to hear it. And then maybe a week later to check in again. And maybe, you know, another week later. And then eventually they will. They'll pick up the phone and they'll talk. But just don't let them, if they're in a boat and they're drifting away, don't let them get all the way out to sea, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the tragedy of it is that, you know, there's the potential if you don't, if you don't at least try to support, if you don't have a little bit of courage to go out a little bit, mm-hmm. then, then you lose another important person in your life, important friend. And then a lot of people, I've, I, I hear people all the time say like, in my darkest moments, I remember those who stuck with me. Yes. And then they they almost, it, it turns into such a negative, maybe even a venom uh, that they have for the person who didn't support them. And yeah. I'm just like, you know, and that's where your book is so important because it can bridge that gap. It can, it can prevent that. They read it in, in advance and, and learn about it, that relationship to going into the toxic realm because we still think about it. Those people still occupy space yeah. in our heads. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, that can keep you stuck in a cycle of pain. Right. And I had to just say, you know, I think this book was very cathartic for me because once I started thinking about it, you know, well, maybe they just didn't know what to say, or maybe they were afraid it was awkward or maybe it scared the heck out of them. So I was very careful when I was writing this book to not make it sound like I was a vengeful person pointing my finger saying, you should be doing this. You should be reaching. How dare you not reach out to your friends? I did not want it to be that. (laughs) I wanted it instead to be, look, we all have the ability to help each other through this thing called life, through the good times and the bad. Good friends stick with you through thick and thin. What kind of friend do you want to be? If you want to be a good friend, then, and you don't know what to do, then let's read this book. Let's give you some ideas. And then you pick what resonates with you and go do it. Simple as that. I like that. And I like uh, how you're saying, what kind of friend do you want to be? And you can be a fair weather friend. (laughs) <laughs> where you're just yeah. like just there for the good times and then, and then you leave for the bad times but you know if you want to be someone that someone remembers you know in their end of life days and someone significant that you always have that strength and that bond as you move forward then it, it takes courage it takes courage to talk about some uncomfortable topics that maybe you just don't know about and I like that because it gives I think people I think people want to be that friend and they want friends like that uh, in their lives. And so it helps, you know, the book would actually help people who are wanting to be better and have the, mm-hmm. the understanding that they, there's work to be done for them to strengthen their relationships with others, um, to give them that guidance. And I think, you know, like at the end of the day, I think that will help you probably help people probably the most is to say like those people that want to help, they don't know, they're a little scared. And then reading that book may actually help them become that friend that they've always dreamed of being. 
And then that also helps the friendship to grow to a new level as you move forward. So, you know, I say, look at you, like helping people move through the journey, a very uncomfortable journey and yeah. with a lot of trials and challenges, but with yeah. any kind of relationship, there's always going to be challenges. And this for friendships, this is one of the big ones is how do you help someone or how do you sit with someone who is suffering? And what do you say? And it's nice how you have that within your book. Thank you. One of those things where, you know, I put in here, here's what's helpful, you know, and here's what's not so helpful. I don't like to say right or wrong, because in my opinion, stepping out awkwardly is better than not stepping out at all. And so that's what I also, so I, I, I say this is a book that every person needs to read. And it is the book every grieving person wishes their friends and family would read. But saying things awkwardly or doing things awkwardly, you know, sometimes will hold us back. And so that's why I say there's no right or wrong. So I ask the grieving person, listen, your friend, so they said, oh, he's better off. You know, it was awkward, but at least they said something to you. And was their intent really, you know, malicious? Or did you choose to take it that way? I think that sometimes we have to we have to give grace to one another. That person stepped up and said something awkward, but at least they were there. At least they had the guts to say something. And as long as it wasn't anything that was malicious or mean intentioned, then I think as grievers, we have to extend that grace for that awkwardness. And the reason that we're all awkward at it is because no one talks about it. The more you practice it, the better you become talking about it. But we're all unpracticed because this is uncomfortable and no one likes to talk about these kinds of things. So that's why I say this is a guidebook that literally you can put in your in your you know bedside drawer. My, my, my one girlfriend in Florida who works for a television station, she goes, I was that woman. I just, I just, never stepped out. She said, I keep it in my bedside drawer. I cannot tell you how many times I'll go, oh my gosh, so-and-so's mother died. Let me go read this book and see what I can do. It just doesn't come naturally to her. But now she's able to find ways that she can reach out to them that lets them know, I'm with you. I care. You, you know, the person you lost means something and you mean something to me. And I just want you to know. So when I was saying that, you know, things that are not so helpful, one of the things that I say is not so helpful, and I think every human being alive today, if you've said this at one time or another, is there anything I can do? Just let me know. And what I say is not so helpful about that, even though you mean it. What's not so helpful is what you referred to earlier. You don't even know what you want right now. You might not even know what day it is, let alone what you want or need. And so I always say a better way to phrase that is to offer maybe two or three different things that you're willing to do for them. Hey, could I go get some groceries for you? Do you need me to pick up some? Do you need me to run some errands? Do you need me to walk your dog? Do you need me to cut your grass? You know, if a woman lost her husband and they had traditional roles, most likely he took care of the lawn and all the outside chores and she took care of the inside chores. Hey, do you need me to cook you dinner? Do you need me to, to do your laundry, right? So give them some ideas of things that you're willing to do for them. And that way they can say, no, not right now. No, thank you. But maybe next week, I never even thought about my lawn. Maybe that will need mowed. You know, 
and then check back with them. But that's a better way of phrasing that question because when you say, if there's anything that I can do, let me know, that puts it back on them and makes them responsible for you to help them. And they're not going to do it. They're not going to reach back out to you. Well, and I think takes a lot of, be a lot of effort and a lot of, I think, courage too, to then go out and say, yeah, I need help in this thing. That that can be really scary for people to be vulnerable enough to yeah. um, really ask that question. But if someone offers, it's so much easier to say yes. Yeah. Because they've offered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just makes it easier on them for sure. So, you know, I think that just myself taking the time to contemplate why something like that would happen allowed me to understand where they were coming from. And a funny thing, an odd thing happened right before my book came out was that within like a three day period, um, my parents call me and tell me that um, the doctors suspect that my dad has terminal lung cancer. My mom called me and told me that. Uh, My niece, uh, her mother just didn't wake up. She was 16 years old and lost her mother suddenly. And then I come into work and a friend of mine tells me that their child who just is in their first year of college was diagnosed with a chronic disease that could be deadly at some point. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I didn't, I was so afraid to talk to all of these people. I didn't know what to say to my dad. I'm going to lose my dad. Oh my gosh. What do you say to your niece that can make it better that her mom is gone? You know, there's nothing I can say to her. And then I'm thinking, what do I say to my friend when my son is excelling in college and, and, and her daughter could possibly die. And then I realized how afraid I became and I real and I literally said, um, you know, you wrote a book on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that had to I really think that had to happen for me to understand that true fear that people feel. And what I realized was I'm just going to call my dad because it's still my daddy. Right. Whether he's sick or he's not sick. And thank God it ended up being a misdiagnosis. But, you know, and I just called my niece and. I let her cry and I told her that I loved her and I told her that she didn't have to go through this alone. And my girlfriend, you know, the same thing. So, you know, it was just that fear that was holding me back, that fear that paralyzed me into inaction. But see, if you switch the fear over into how you can love that person, all of a sudden, all that garbage just falls away and you just, you just do it because that's what that's what friends do and that's what you do when you love someone and you care about them that is so uh key that's such a key learning right there and yeah i guess you had to kind of experience that yourself to kind of get a real feel for it mm-hmm. but uh isn't that what and that's exactly what happens right is that in that moment people clamp up and they say i can't deal mm-hmm. i can't deal with this i need to run or i need to not uh, go into the fear I need to to hide from the fear whatever mm-hmm. and that is it's just so paralyzing in a lot of ways for some yeah. people but but like you're like you said is it's if people have practical knowledge or just some something they can lean back on in terms of instruction it helps walk through that fear that much more it's not like it's going to make it disappear but it's going to help them rem- remember 
uh, what to do in those situations. And that is like, hey, okay, be be aware of what what's on the other end. Uh, is that your loved one? That love that you do have for that person, that that friendship that you do have for that person. Um, yeah. And and not not to change topics too much, but we're living in a time where there's a lot of grief and fear right in this pandemic right oh. and i'm sure there's a lot of relationship uh, relationships uh, that are being tested a lot mm-hmm. of friendships that are being tested right now and people saying hmm this person's not reaching out to me i wonder why yeah that's actually a good question sean if you looked at your book now because you you wrote it a couple years ago is there anything you would like to or you would add to a new edition if it came out during during this time uh I think maybe just some more tips that people, you know, offered. And I think, you know, I would offer pet loss. I think that, you know, people don't realize that pets are very important members of our family and a loss of a pet could be just as devastating. I think I might include, you know, things to say uh, addiction, you know, people who are losing family members to addiction. I mean, that's taboo enough as it is, you know, we don't even want to talk about that. And then to, realize that someone's grieving over that and just loneliness and kindness. This is a book on friendship. And I think one of the things, because we're feeling so high on, so there's such a high rise of our anxiety, stress, and fear levels right now. And that's just not just with the pandemic, but in the United States with our, with, with our election right now, you know, how many days we were gone without knowing who our president is. So, you know, there's just, the, there's nothing that's right about or certain mm-hmm. about our world. And so that fear and stress and anxiety causes a lot of confusion. And so what I love about this book is that it's clarity. It's just clarity. You don't have to put emotion into it. You can just read it. Go go to the back and look at the list and just go down and say, I can do that. I'm just going to do that, you know, because it's a, a long list of different things that you can be doing. And so, you know, it takes the guesswork out of it. These are things that you can do and you can say that are proven to work because the people who have told me and provided those tips, it's worked for them. It's helped them. You know what I mean? So this isn't, these are the true experts. These are the people that have, that have lived through this kind of loss. And so I just heard the other day, this phrase that clarity is kindness. So we just need to get clear. Do you want to be a good friend? Yes. Are you afraid? Yes. Are you not sure what to do? Yes. Then read this list. Okay. Is there something on there that resonates with you that you can do? Yes. Then do that. Okay. <laughs> and Yeah. No, this speaks to, to, and I'm just speaking for myself, but I'm a dummy sometimes, right? And like, it speaks to that because my mind might go towards the negative, whereas like, I, I, you know, why isn't my friend calling me? Why isn't my relative reaching out? Oh, you know, and then it, oh, they're, they're being a bad person or they're selfish or whatever. But you're right. Like sometimes you just need clarity and clear instruction for dummies like me to be able to like just look at it and be like, oh, that's where I need to go, not whatever, whatever. Right. And when you're in that, when you're in a space of growth and personal development and maybe even spiritual development, 
you realize that a lot of times you teach the things that you most need to learn yourself. And so, and, and so you have to practice those things. So I, you know, when I start getting into that spiral of why is no one checking on me? That's when I know that I need to pick up the phone and check on someone else. Right. Um, whatever I'm missing, I'm not giving in some manner. And so just do that. You know, I, I, that's one of those things where you could even be grieving the loss of your kids going to college or your kids, you know, leaving the nest. And so how many mothers sit at home after their I put everything into my kids and none of them call me. Well, you can pick up the phone and talk to them. They have busy lives. There's no, they didn't say they never wanted to talk to you. Yeah. So if yeah. you really want to talk to them, pick up the phone and call them. You don't have to go negative on this. I also want to change the conversation. We're talking about friends, but I'm guessing this also applies to relationships. And so were you in a partnership when your son died? Um, yes, I was married. My husband mm -hmm. and I, um, this was our second son. Brandon was our second son and we are still married today. <laughs> <laughs> How did that, because you hear those stories of people, um, the relationships falling through or there's just a conflict because of the loss that they it ends. So what were some of the things that maybe that you noticed within relationships in the sense of romantic relationships that people may be able to understand on how they can help their partner? Let them grieve the way they need to grieve. Everyone grieves differently. Women like to a lot of times talk about it over and over and over and men just hold it maybe closer to the vest. But, you know, for my husband, it was just sitting with a friend at a football game. For my dad, it was just sitting on a bank and fishing or getting, you know, um, or just getting lost in something. And that allowed them to deal with it better. Where women, you know, a lot of times they want to talk to their girlfriends and they want to cry and they want to, you know, uh, tell the story over and over and over again. You know, it's different for every person. And so we were very blessed to have joined a support group that, that pretty much let us know that men and women grieve differently and that it is okay. And my faith was very strong. And I, I believe my husband's was too. And we just made a decision that we were going to get through this together. I mean, there was, there was, we had a three-year-old son at home and we were both grieving and we were both very sad, but we were both determined that it was not going to affect our family. And this was, you know, I, and this takes a lot of growth and I have done a lot of work, but I realized that my son's journey was 29 days and our journey continues. Yeah. And so, you know, how are we going to go through that? We, you know, if you focus too much on the why and who wasn't there and you focus on all the negative, then you're going to get stuck in a in a cycle of negativity and anger and pain right and i just wanted i wanted to seek joy again that's that's why I, that's why I, I formed the graduating grief um, community actually so we just made a decision that we were going to get through this together uh, it just period we made that decision and um I mean, I, I adore my husband. I love my husband and it's been a wonderful marriage and, and it's just, we're, we're a united front because we decided to be. 
That's that's really good. And it's good to sort of really point out that, yeah, people do grieve differently. And if you need a certain type of support, you may need to go to someone else to provide that. It doesn't mean that they, they're not grieving, just they grieve differently. Yeah. So they may just need that buddy over to watch a game with, and, and you may need to have that conversation with someone, but you, you're still going to support each other throughout the process, which is, I think it's, it's great. I'm curious because this is a grief dreams podcast. Have have you or your um, your husband had a, a dream of your son after he died? My husband has. I have not. And at the very beginning, that bothered me tremendously. I mean, it it really bothered me, and I just kept thinking that my son loved my husband more than he loved me. You know, I mean, that's what I thought. Why would he come to him and not me? And then my husband, it was just, it was, it was, it was when Joshua, I had you on my podcast and we were talking about this and um, we got off of it. I'm tearing up a little bit, but I said, I still, you know, feel that way. And he said, Sherry, maybe he came to me because he knew I needed it more. Mm, That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, well, I did hold him, you know, with me and inside of me for nine months. I can give you one night in a dream, (laughs) you know, but I talked about it and I verbalized it, but my husband grieved differently. So maybe that was what he needed to, to help him in his journey to move forward and heal. Yeah. And this is sort of the mystery of, you know, who has these dreams and, and who doesn't, but I'm, I'm glad that said like, because men don't vocalize their emotions, regularly or as often it could be you're right that's the saving grace and helped him in a in a world where he was having a difficult time where you know when you look at yourself you were managing you know even though you really wanted one maybe he he said like he needed it just a little bit more but at the end of the day i can't see why you both can't have it that answer was fine that yeah. answer was absolutely fine with me. And I mean, look how it, it helped toward your healing and, and, and toward your line of work now. So, And that's at least one, one of you had it. And it's nice to sort of you look at it from a perspective of love rather than sort of hate or jealousy. And that's sort of what you think you, you changed that perspective on it in the sense of you saw what it did to him and for him. And what an honor that is to be to know that that happened. You know, that you're a part of seeing that. And then you said like, and however you you took it, a lot of people, if they don't have a dream, they can use that dream to help them in their process. Because there is a lot of different reasons why people may not dream of uh, the deceased. You may be having more negative dreams because Mm -hmm. for your your own reason, and your mind just doesn't want to remember those because Mm -hmm. it'd be too terrifying for you to have to process not only your grief, but also these traumatic reminders of what was lost. Um, so like there's there's really, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. But um I'm glad you switched your perspective. What was the dream that your husband had? Wow, I you know what? I I don't even remember. I, I don't remember. I'm sure that he does, but I don't I mean it was it was so long ago that I, I don't remember. But he said that it helped him tremendously. It made him realize it was it was okay. It was okay. Wow. That he was okay, you know, that he was okay. And that, you know, it would be okay because he is okay. Beautiful. That's amazing. Wow. All right. So (laughs) for for you, when you're processing all that, all those emotions of not having a dream and you said like feeling that you're unloved or a reason why you weren't having it was being unloved. 
when did that change for you? Do you could you can you like articulate that at all, or was it just something that kind of faded in time, or is it still something that is a part of your grief? No, it's not a part. It's not a part of my grief anymore. I, I one of the things that has happened my how my grief has transformed me is I have become a much more positive person. I used to be a very negative, you know, skeptical, you know, reporter type of person, you know, <laughs> not reporters, right? And that was my MO. And now, you know, I am more in tune to the mystery of life and I just try to let go of those things that don't serve me, you know, that could get me stuck in a cycle that I don't want to be in. It doesn't lend to my healing at all. You know, that's one of the things with my graduating grief program is that I try to focus more on what now instead of the question why, you know, why keeps us stuck? What now moves us forward? Um, Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that there isn't pain but it keeps us, you know, moving forward. There's nothing that I can do because he didn't show up in a dream. There's nothing that I can do because he died. There's nothing that I can change about that. So why do I want to stay in that cycle of pain, thinking about it over and over and over again? I I just, I just don't choose that for myself anymore. It's, and it sounds much easier said than done. Believe me, it's, it's not, it's, it's a practice just like anything else, but I just really work to not hang on to those kinds of things anymore. And so now I consider Brandon with me every day and we're, we're co-creators together. Yeah. And that's a beautiful statement right there, right? It's, um, I think when people choose to heal, it's a, it's a choice in a lot of ways, but, but when you choose to heal and choose love, right? That's such a more potent force. It's such a it's such a potent potent and and that version of you after during that and and through that and after that is such a. I love those people so much because you see it in in them in the way they the words they speak, and then they can look back at them themselves be, before. And, and and it's a different person, right? Like that news anchor mm-hmm. version of you is, is uh, was a different version, a different lifetime, still right. aspects of you, but you probably look at yourself now as like, wow, I'm so much more dangerous, like in a good way, in a beautiful yeah. way, right? Yeah, you take what serves you and then you move on, right? To the next thing. I, I want to share a story with you about uh, something that was very powerful that I think encompasses everything. So... When um, my husband and I lost Brandon, we, we got cards and support from a lot of people. And that's another thing, too. I think when you um, when you lose someone you love, you are surprised by some of the people who show up. You know, it's like the pe- there are some people that are just mere acquaintances, but they can change your life. And one did with me. A woman sent a card. She was a neighbor of my in-laws and she sent a card to my husband and I. And I'm paraphrasing this. But she said, you know, in your son's short life, he was able to bring more people to prayer on their knees to God uh, on his behalf than most people can ever would ever do in their entire lifetime. How blessed you were to be his parents. And I thought, wow, okay, so I'm the mom of an accelerated soul. Um, But I but I thought about this in three, three. I learned three lessons from this. The first one is that. Brandon's journey was 29 days. That's all it was supposed to be. And, and so 
if he impacted people in 29 days that powerfully, what was I doing with my life? What kind of impact was I making with my life? And I had never thought about that. I thought about what my career choice was going to be. I thought about whether I was going to be married, how many children I wanted, but I never thought about making an impact, making what, what I wanted to leave behind and how I wanted to live my life from here on out. So it got me to think about that. It also allowed me to realize that, um, you know, everybody's life matters no matter how short it is and that it can still, you know, it matters and it can make an impact. And the third thing I realized is that a simple paragraph on a card can totally change someone's life because it changed mine. It helped me better under accept my son's death. It helped me better understand why I, how I wanted to move forward with my life. And it was a beautiful way to reach out to someone in healing and support. And so it, it's like all encompassing of what my book is all about. And um, it was so healing and it, and it was just a few words in a card, but that those were powerful words to me. And you just don't know how they're going to be received by someone. So if you can bless someone's life that profoundly, why on earth would you be too afraid to hold that back? Yeah, that's good. If one goes back down, like, who do you want to be? And it's nice how when we, we find these challenging situations and we can have a different focus of what, we're, what we do with our time and how how we can make an impact with those around us. And that's what happened also with my father too. And that's why, you know, I do the grief dream stuff. It's just like, how can you make an impact and just be that person that most people won't really have around them? It's really just about being human. Like how do you accept your humanness, you know, in front of people? (laughs) That's really all it is. And, uh, but there's so many people around that have put up walls and they won't go to certain places. They don't have to sit with suffering. They don't know how to be human. And once you can get to that state of accepting life for what it is and understand what helps you during your times of struggle, well, then you just be that for others. And it's amazing how that helps people. And it's just, a, it is a simple thing, but it does take courage to pull down some of the walls and some of the, the masks that we wear to just be human and accept the, the moment of, as what it is. As you sort of said, like you're able to surrender to the moment and acknowledge that what you're how powerful your son's life was within the 29 days. And that in itself is a a very beautiful statement on what a life can be. And you've had way more in 29 days, you know, it's like, and to see your life as that, as that gift to sort of see what can I do with the rest of my time that I have here? And can I help those who don't have people around them to support them? Like, what can I do? And so I, I loved how you've really come to this, idea of of making this community and program. So could you talk a little bit more of what that is and where people can find that? Sure. You know, it's so funny because I've always had this heart to serve women. And yet um, the world of grief keeps calling me back. And I thought, you know, I know these two go together, but I just, I just don't know 
how they do. So I was praying and meditating, you know, just a couple of months ago. God, I need clarity on this. Well, I know they're connected. I just can't connect the dots. And all of a sudden it came to my mind and I was telling you earlier, my husband and I were blessed to be invited to participate in this support group. And these were loving, caring people who understood exactly what we were going through because they had suffered, you know, similar losses. And so that first year, you know, knowing what that, preparing us for what that first Mother's Day would feel like, that first Father's Day, um, that first Christmas, the first birthday, you know, that year first that you just dread every day of how that, how I'm going to feel during that first year and, and really helped us with our feelings and, and helped us, you know, to understand that men's grief and women, you know, mother's grief and the father's grief are different and, and just, they, it was a blessing and it helped us tremendously, but it got to a point after about maybe 18 months, I said to my husband, I don't want to go back. And he would say, Sherry, why don't you want to go back? And I say, because I just don't, I just don't want to feel gut-wrenching pain every other Tuesday. I just don't, you know? And all of a sudden that, that came back to me, flooding back to me. And I thought, what was that about? And I thought it was because I was ready to start feeling joy again. I was ready to step back into my life. I was ready for more joy and less pain. I was ready to graduate my grief. And so I was ready to leave that support group, but I really had no place to go next. And so that's what I've created. It's a community right now on Facebook. It's it's a soon to be released podcast that's going to provide women, you know, uh, who have lost and it can be divorce, it can be death, it can be death of a child, death of a spouse, you know, it can be, you know, the death of your career, your children leaving, but you know that that deep grief that you're feeling and saying, I don't want to be sad anymore. I, I want to live again, but I'm afraid. I don't know how to step back in. I feel guilty. So this is a community that is going to be encouraging. That's going to focus more on the what now instead of why did this happen to me or why did this happen to my son or why did he do this to me? It's going to be focused more on, okay, what now? What kind of life do I want to live now? Let's build ourselves up and let's go live it. And let's let's encourage each other and let's provide, let me provide tools for you that helped me. And let's graduate you from your grief and help you to step into living your life with joy. And so that is, that's what I am so thrilled and excited about now. That's a phenomenal and beautiful, right? And and you're absolutely right, though. Like sometimes, look, uh, a lot of these groups, they serve a purpose and a function. And it's beautiful for people to have that resource, to be able to talk to people who are just like themselves, uh, healing in that way, like a deep pain and healing. But sometimes they do... Uh, you do outgrow them in a lot of ways. And that's actually like something I love about the podcast that actually we do is that I feel like it's, you know, we take a look at the whole journey mm-hmm. and, you know, of not just the deep pain and trauma, but also what, what comes with the healing processes. And then after that, what's after that, how's your life turned out? What are the things that you can look back on and how can you see it, see it from a different perspective? Uh, you know, how, how did these dreams impact you? How, how they changed your life 
from from a different little bit of, of a lens, which is uh, I think very different than kind of having a, a trauma group or a healing group. Which again, no no disrespect, they're very important. Yes, I I, I agree one hundred percent. And the work that you do is very important, and it's just a shift in perspective. Sometimes that's what a grief dream is. It just shifts your perspective. It makes you say, I never thought of it that way. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. And it can be, it literally can be an instantaneous healing. It really can. Because, you know, your your mindset is what keeps you, you, you can be locked in a prison with bars or you can be locked in the prison of your mind. And so many grievers, you know, that's one of the things I say. I had a choice. I had to decide whether my grief was going to define me or I was going to let it refine me. And I think I've done a pretty good job of letting it refine me. And 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 that's what I hope to share with others as well. Well, that's beautiful. And I, I hope that, you know, people that you can, that you you develop a, a great platform and podcast to continue to help people through the different challenges that they face. And people will, as I sort of found out just through my own stuff, is people will find a way to you. Just keep doing what you're doing. And if you're speaking truth and you're coming with an open heart, people will find you. Cause that's what they're they're longing for so good for you of starting that and, and doing something new and having the courage to, to start something new um, thank you so i'm really curious is if you could have a dream tonight oh. of your son what would you want that dream to look like wow wow if i could have a dream of my son tonight i would love you know what i would love to sit down in an interview chair just like i was in television and just say, tell me, what's it like? You know, what, what, you know, how have you been and what can you do and, and what's it like on the other side? And am I doing okay? Are you, am I making you proud? You know, um, I, I would, I would just, I would just love to get to know him. That's, that was, that's what I would want to know. That's beautiful. So what age would you want him to be? Because I'm guessing you want to sort of hear, so he can't be 29 days. He must be a little older if he's going to be talking to you. <laughs> you know, I don't think about age. I just, no? I, I see my son as a complete soul. Mm. You know, like I just see that, you know, whatever it is, the way that we would communicate, the way we would communicate. But maybe I see him as an adult. I don't know. My son had a, a very debilitating I don't want to say disease, but it was a disorder. It was called diaphragmatic hernia. And so I never, you know, I never pictured him at any age in particular because, well, first of all, what's the sense he's not going to be, and that would just be painful. But secondly, you know, I can't really imagine him as this happy and healthy whole human being because he wouldn't have been, but I can, as a perfect soul, he can be happy and whole where he is now, whatever, whatever form he is. That's interesting. It actually makes me reflect on, because some people get phone calls from deceased or they hear the deceased through clouds or objects in their dreams. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe there's, there's a part of that, especially if it's a child that died, as you're saying, because you just can't conceive of what they would look like. But you can understand that they're talking, right? Because you see it as a soul. That's very interesting. And so, yeah, I, uh, I hope you have that dream. And I hope you um, ask your husband if he remembers his dream that he had. And then hopefully you can email it to me because uh, I'm really interested in what dream he had that changed his life. Okay, I definitely will ask him and, and I will, will message you that, yeah, I'm curious to see. And I'm sure that if he, he had a dream, he would definitely remember it. 
Uh, beautiful stuff. You know, it's a real, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Sherry. And, uh, you know, I've gained so many insights and you really very knowledgeable and uh, just a beautiful soul. And I'm sure many of our listeners have enjoyed that as well. Uh, could you uh, please shout out your handles and where people can find um, your podcast as well as your book? Oh, sure. You know what? You can go to SherryDunlevy.com. And if you go and register on my website, um, I have a gift for everyone. It's four tips of things you should never say to a grieving person. So you can get a little tip sheet <laughs> that, uh, that can help you. Um, it's SherryDunlevy.com. S-H-E-R-R-I-E-D-U-N-L-E-V-Y.com. Uh, you can get my book there, a signed copy on my website, or you can go to Amazon or any bookstore and get it. And I'm Graduating Grief on Facebook is, is the group. Sherry Dunlevy on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. Love it. Yeah. So people can check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, you can do so on our website. We provide links there. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, uh, we'd like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.